What's going on, everybody? This is Josh McCabe here. I'm your host on the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Wherever you are listening, whether it be online, in the car, on your computer, on your mobile device, whatever time it is, morning, evening, afternoon, whatever it might be, just thank you for tuning in. The Overflow Beyond the Music is the name of this podcast, and we love to dive deep into the lives of artists and songwriters and musicians to learn about how their faith and their journey has influenced them along the way is their journey as musicians and as people. And today's subject uh, that we're going to be addressing over the next couple episodes is something that's personal for me. It's something that's dear to my heart and something that I'm truthfully don't think is talked about enough. When I began pitching the idea of doing an episode around the idea of mental health, I asked a few friends who I knew had been on a journey in the music industry, uh, some in the Christian industry and some in the mainstream. But And I talked about doing this and, and giving Christian artists a voice to talk about their own journey. And I was met with some response that surprised me. And I said, is anybody talking about this stuff in the industry And a lot of the responses I got were, no, it's taboo to talk about this. And that's a major problem. That is a major issue when artists don't feel like they can talk about what they're battling, whether it be anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, whatever that may include. Uh, We got to come alongside artists and give them a voice. And this is what I want this podcast to be. This is not going to be tips on how to deal with your own struggle. This is going to be giving artists a voice to share their story. And I'm just praying that as we do that, that you would be encouraged. And maybe you find yourself in some of these stories that you're going to hear in some of this journey. And I know you're going to be really, really encouraged today. I, I, I believe you're going to be encouraged. That's why we're doing this, so that you would know that you're not alone in your journey. And we've got some incredible guests today, and I cannot wait to dive into it. And this is my very first podcast episode from a brand new city in a brand new country. I recently moved from Canada to Nashville, Tennessee, and currently I'm sitting in a bedroom right now with not much unpacked. I've got a little desk here. I've got my microphone out. That's all I need to be able to talk to you guys today. And in just a couple minutes, we're going to get to our guests. But first of all, I have a few little housekeeping items to get into. If you are on Instagram, you're going to want to give us a follow. We are at the Overflow BTM. That's right, the Overflow BTM. Make sure that you go give us a follow and say what's up. We'll make sure to hit you back. It's going to be where you can find out all about the upcoming episodes on the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. Well, as I was building this episode for the subject around mental health and mental health struggles, especially as I was talking to so many musicians, I was realizing that there was so much more going on that wasn't being written about in songs or or maybe it wasn't being talked about in detail. And as I started thinking about building this episode, which is turned into two, maybe three episodes, there was one person that I thought I have to bring them on because... Not only would I say they're an expert in this area, though he probably wouldn't say it, I, but when you have schools calling you all the time to come address issues and flying, being flown across the country 
all the time to speak on this. You are an expert in my books. And this man uh, helped me through a lot of my personal journey and became one of the first people I felt like understood what I was going through. And I'm going to share more about my journey in the next episode. But I want to welcome uh, my good friend, Brett Allman, to the podcast. Brett, thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Josh. Yeah, it's an honor. And uh, I want to just say I want to thank you for being a voice to these issues and and to some of these subjects before it really became the uh I don't want to say the cool thing to talk about but it definitely has become something that people are talking about a lot more and I would never ever want this subject to be a fad or something that we capitalize on uh in media or or in society but this is something that's really close to your heart. No, it is. Uh, probably of all the topics I speak on this is the closest one to me for sure. And when did that passion really start for you? Because I think everyone could say there was a time when they noticed that something wasn't right with the world and they were experiencing and seeing things that that didn't sit well and they decided to do something about it. When when was that moment for you? I've been speaking for 23 years and it was so I began talking on music and media, you know, just the, the, old, the old kind of debates of Christian music good, secular music bad. I mean, this is 23 years ago, right? So yeah. I'm dating myself. But, you know, after years of talking about music, there probably wasn't a night when someone didn't come up and ask me a question to do with... Now, it's funny. At that point, we didn't usually call it mental health. It was more conversations on depression, eating disorders, lots of conversations on cutting, which is funny because... Fast forward to today, we don't usually use those terms as specifically. We kind of just use the greater umbrella of just mental health, mental illness. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we've stopped talking about the specifics and created almost a more general umbrella topic? Um, that's a good question. I, I know for some of them, like for topics like cutting, I think it's very triggering for people. You know, I've, I've traveled a youth circuit for years and any of the speakers who would, you know, I'd be at a youth workers conference and people would put up pictures of what kids have carved into their arms and stuff. And I'm always like, you're making an assumption that people, just because we're adults or just because we're youth workers or youth leaders, that we don't struggle with these things. And so it's like, we don't need to trigger someone to have a conversation on it. Like, you know, being graphic for the sake of being graphic is you don't need it. But I, I do think also mm. that we've realized that a lot of these things are, um, I think mental health is the greater conversation. And then we look at how we're how we struggle under that could be many things, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, panic attacks, uh, whether it's, I mean, I mean, you could go everything from dyslexia to OCD to PTSD, schizophrenia, bipolar. And then you have the, the kind of the, the ways people, sometimes people struggle. So everything from eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, you know, cutting, never forget things like cutting, like self-harm is just hurting yourself to get beyond an overwhelming feeling, thought and emotion. But people do that for other ways as well. Some people, you know, it could be pornography, it could be gambling, it could be drinking. So I think I think we've years ago we looked at it very specifically, but we have to look at it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's so unique. We have to kind of do that like ten thousand feet up look and say, okay, what what could the issues be? But let's look at yeah. it from high up, not just the specific thing of why is like why is someone cutting or why is someone struggling? Well, it could be many reasons. So let's get to those reasons, not just trying to address just the specifics of what someone's actually struggling with. Well, one of the things I, I've noticed that uh, I think I've, a, I've, I've, tra I've traveled enough. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the most well-traveled musician. There's probably a lot 
more well-known musicians who are much more traveled and accomplished than I am. But, but the pastor side of me gets into some conversations with musicians that you usually didn't intend or didn't think would be happening. And I'm noticing a pattern that, that maybe the issue in some of the musicians or artists that, that we've encountered even being Christians has been around something that you've experienced yourself, something I've experienced, but this issue of burnout and breakdown or anxiety or panic attacks. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about your journey and sort of how that might relate to some of the conversations or encounters you've had with artists and musicians along the way that that can relate to some of the stuff you've experienced. For sure. So I'm like, I'm... it's funny, like I spend my life on the road with musicians. I'm just the other side of that coin where I, you know, I come into an event and I'm, I'm the speaker as opposed to being the musician. Right. So I, like my history was, is I was a teacher. I taught for 10 years with the Toronto District School Board uh, where I live up and just, I live just outside of Toronto. And I uh, left that and I, I did a, a number of things. I did a program called the Aero Leadership Program and then went straight into a master's degree down at uh, Wheaton Grad School down in Chicago. But suddenly I'm an international student. And so suddenly I need to make up the money it costs and even just for a master's degree. So my speaking dates went from 100, 125 a year to between 275 and 300 wow. a year, which is just ludicrous. Not the musician. The, the yeah. Word, right? It's just absolutely. It's just crazy. I mean, I remember once speaking 32 times in 14 days. That's unbelievable. Like I would do a morning session, maybe I'd even do like an early morning session, then head to another school and do like 11 o'clock and then afternoon, then evening. But in my head, all I could say is, you know what? I know I'm really crazy busy and I'm exhausted and I'm unsustainable, but I can pay for food when I go away or I paid for Mm -hmm. my books. And so it's this season I found myself in trapped, you know, my board, my wife, I'm married with two kids, like everyone would just say to me, listen, you're doing too much. And I remember just saying to everyone the same line over and over again, March 1st, 2012. Because if I can just reach that, that was the day I'd graduate. And that would be the day that I could, I always just say rejig my life, right? I could, I, I don't have a master's degree anymore. I could be a better father, better husband, just be a better Christian. Like just everything else could go back to normality. Did you, and is, were there any part of you that as you're saying that March 1st is when I can rejig that in the back of your head, you're thinking, Probably not. Well, I began even in the last six months of my master's degree. You know, it's kind of like when you do a long tour or something. At the end, you begin to kind of separate from the tour before you're even done. Interesting. Yeah. And so, like, I was in my last class and I began to not be well. Like, I just wasn't sleeping well. But then it all, like, the day I graduated is the day I stopped sleeping. And I have not actually slept through the night since March 1st, 2012. I'm up every sleep cycle, every night. Wow. And so I began, like I was, I came off my master's, but I'm still speaking. And so I I found myself suddenly having these weird instances, I don't even know what to call it, weird occurrences. So I was in front of like four or 500 students at a, a church and, you know, as a speaker, I I'm kind of wandering around the front with my, you know, head cordless mic on me and, and within, I went from being normal to unwell within a second. And it was like the world turned sideways. Wow. And you know, like, I mean, everybody who's ever been at the front knows this. In the front of your head, you're you're doing what you're doing, right? You're singing, you're playing, you're doing whatever you need to. But in the back of your head, you're, you're thinking over things. What am I going to have for dinner after I'm done? Or, you know, like 
like you're just thinking stuff. And so the back of my head was, how do I gracefully pass out in front of people? Hmm. And so I remember like, I'm thinking like I'm six foot six. It's like, do I just fall like, like a tree? Do I go down to one knee? And I somehow kind of got through the talk. And at the end, I, well, I actually took a break in the middle of it and then finished. But I went home and I went to my family doctor and he said, oh, you have anxiety. And I corrected him. I said, no, no, I speak on anxiety. And he said, no, no, you have anxiety. It was this kind of weird banter back and forth. And he put me on some meds. I didn't even care what they were at the time. And I went home and I was sort of okay again. So I went back on the road. I was doing a tour of 10 or 12 Catholic high schools. Hmm. And on the second day of the tour, I found myself crying in my car at eight in the morning. Wow. And I remember just kind of going, I'm not okay. Like I'm still rational in the head, but I'm like, why am I weeping? Like there's nothing going on. So I went home, back to the doctor. Now I got sleep clinics involved. And then I was speaking out in, um, I was at a camp in, in Alberta and I had my first panic attack, which I didn't realize. So panic attack is fight or flight. So like 1,200 people came to hear me speak, and I had a horrible night's sleep. I had a horrible flight. The whole trip was horrible getting there, just feeling horrible. And I got up in the morning, and like fight or flight, I fled. Wow. I hopped in my car, and I drove away, knowing full well that I'm leaving people, which is my job, right? That's my job is to speak and, and to engage. And then I went home, and then I was okay, and then it all came to head. I was at a camp, camp called Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp, just a you know, like a camp, faith-based camp. And I was supposed to be doing some speaking and my wife and family were going to be there. And I went boating for the day with a buddy of mine and his family. We were eating dinner at McDonald's with our kids afterwards. And when I came out, I, my life changed. Like, it's funny for me because I have a moment. That was my moment. I thought, you know, when you come out of a McDonald's, you kind of walk through the drive-through, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So I thought I was just kind of past that. And I thought I'm being hit by a car. And then I realized I'm not being hit by a car. I'm actually falling into a car. Like my equilibrium is just shot. And I kind of called for my wife and she grabbed my arm, walked me to the car. I think it was the first time I ever didn't drive. Uh, And my wife drove me back to the cottage. And then I realized that I couldn't leave the cottage. I learned the next morning, like I kind of went to bed just thinking I was sick. And the next morning we all left for breakfast. And You eat breakfast in some big place with everybody. And I got two cottages down and my hands would shake and... And I kind of let them go. And for hours, I would try to leave. And every time I would get a few cottages down, my hands would shake and my blood pressure would rise. And I'd break out in goosebumps and a sweat. And and I didn't leave the cottage for the week. And then I went home and didn't work for almost a year. Wow. And there's just, there's irony to my journey in that I'm a speaker who to this day speaks on mental health. And I still struggle. Like I, I've sat for every talk I've ever done since then. Hmm. And and I still struggle with sleep and I still struggle with anxiety. Uh, depression's a bit better. Like I was, after being at home for five months, depression set in and that's, they're linked, but they're different. In my mind, they were different. And I know sometimes we have a hard time separating the two of them, but I, uh, like I'm back to work. I've been working now for six years and I travel a, a good docket. I'm about 125 to 150 dates a year. And a lot of it's local too. So I'm not like, I'm not on the road that many dates, but yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my new, my journey. Well, after going through something like that, there's probably a lot of follow-up that takes place. You know, friends and family want to know what's going on. Are you okay? Dates getting canceled. A lot of questions being asked. Where's Brett? What's going on with Brett? And I guess my question is, how did you deal with some of the aftermath of an experience like that? And how did you embrace it and just say, you know what? This is my journey and it's time to move forward. 
like I, I remember sitting at home and people would come through my house and I don't want to call them Job's friends because people might hear this and you, like, <laughs> but you, you, you know, like people come through and people, I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and they would say, have you tried? And then you know what they'll add in. Like the first, like the biggest one people always said to me is, well, have you, have you tried Jesus? Yeah. And I would say to them, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, you know, Jesus. And I'm like, I know Jesus. What do you mean by have I tried Jesus? And they would kind of just look at me and say, isn't that what I'm supposed to say to you? And I would say, I actually don't know anymore. And then they would leave. Wow. And then people would say, have you tried, you know, these specialty milkshakes with lots of vitamins and minerals? Or have you tried running? Or have you tried? And it's just every one of them offered up something. And so I, I, I get that people don't know what to do in these moments. Yeah. But they all left and I sat. Wow. And I, I just... I'm suddenly just at home trying to figure this out. And I think my pride and everything, and ego, you know, I'm like, I'm a speaker and, and I'm a dad and like, I'm a type A personality. And suddenly I can't, I can't even leave my home. Yeah. And so it, it took me a bit of time before I just kind of, this is my journey. And I just had to kind of own it. And what blew my mind was when, so like, I, because I travel like any other artist, I got lots of social media people, right? And yeah. so people would post online like, oh, you cancel, like what's going on? Or, you know, someone that would like post on my Facebook wall, you know, praying for you here, you're having some struggles. And so I just decided one day to post and I just kind of posted, this is what's going on. I'm, I'm not able to work and I don't understand and here's what's going on. And you get lots of the, you know, the, you know, people like it and they heard it and they say some line praying for you. But I was overwhelmed with the people who wrote me privately. Hmm just saying, this is my journey as well. And this is what I get every single night when I speak. I have a talk called The Walking Wounded. And it's just people just on a nightly basis just say, this is what I do and this is my life and I have the same journey as you. I don't sleep. I struggle with anxiety. I have panic attacks on stage. And uh, it's just interesting. I mean, it's in some ways it's comforting just to know that you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you this question, too, because we're going to have some artist guests uh, on some of these episodes talking about some of their journey. But I loved what Brian Johnson said uh, in his book and in our interview that that he went in his panic attack. He went to go worship and it wasn't working for him. And I'm curious, how did music play a role in in your journey of your battle and and the panic and the breakdown and the anxiety. How did music play a role for you? So I, I have the biggest music collection I thought of anyone. I had 7,000 albums, CDs, downloads, all legal. I had two eight tracks as well for anybody who's a bit older. Perfect. Then I subscribed to Apple Music. I actually have Apple Music and Spotify. So I have like 42 million songs that I now own. I love music. But it's interesting with... It's, inter- it's, it's very almost similar to even my scripture reading when I'm at home. So I'm at home and I'm not working. And people would say, like, are you reading the Gospels? And I'm like, I'm actually reading Old Testament prophets. Yeah. Like Amos, Lamentations, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes. It's funny what, when you're not well, what you enjoy. And even for music, like people would send me, you know, what's that song by Casting Crowns? Something in the Storm? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd send me that. And I'm like, it's just too, you know... Sometimes with our music, it's just kind of like, you know, I I really like it's kind of like, you know, everything was really bad. And then I looked to Jesus and everything was fine. It's like, this is yeah. not my world right now. So there were musicians that I sort of seeked out who used language that I understood. Right. And so someone like a plum. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just trying. That's funny. It's been a while since I've had to go through these music, but there's just there's these different artists with different language. Uh, Matt Marr has a song where he talks about, um, "I woke up in darkness, surrounded by silence. Oh, where where have I gone?" It's mm. interesting. Like I actually couldn't get past that line for a good year and a bit. And I think this comes down to two: is how we journey, in that we all journey different. Meaning, for some people who go through these journeys, they lean back on their faith. And one guy said to me, "It's like Jesus met me in the clouds." Yeah. And so for them, someone, it might mean just like you, you throw in a Bethel or whatever music, you, you know, you, a worship album, and you just, it's just perfect for you. Mine has been the darkest journey I've ever had in my life. And so for me, it's music that I've, I've always kind of yearned for is anything that connects. So I'm listening to like an old Our Lady Peace album. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like just anything that talks about challenge, right? Anything that just, I mean, Anything that just wasn't just kind of everything's fine. And, and so for me, that was kind of the, the bigger stuff is listening to music that actually um, connected with who I am. Even I, I got like a band like Linkin Park, I connected with a lot to some of the yeah. more darkness in some of their music. Well, I want to ask you as well, because something that really helped me was praise and worship music in my journey and just having worship on all the time. But not everybody... Uh, I guess connects with it in the same way. What was it like for you? Because it was something that worked for me, you know? Yeah. I think for me too, what's interesting is a lot of the quote unquote praise and worship music I struggled with listening to because I actually was, I really, how do I say this? Um, I didn't feel God anymore, just to be honest. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I remember sitting down with my counselor and I, I, this took a lot, like I run a national ministry and I kind of took a big breath and I said, I don't feel God anymore. And the response was kind of nothing. And I said, did you hear me? I said, I don't feel God anymore. And it was kind of like, yeah. And I said, can you look at me? Like, hmm. I, I just told you I don't feel, and I, I was interrupted. And she said to me, um, something along the lines of, uh, you're depressed, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, do you connect with your wife in that like feeling way? And I said, no, your kids, no. Friends, no. Anyone, no. And then she said to me, you're okay. And I think I cried. It was the first time someone just said to me, you're okay. Yeah. Because here's, here's the problem. We we live in this world of feelings, right? Especially with music, right? It's this like music. I just love what it how it makes me feel. But suddenly in my faith, I'm dead. I, I, I my feelings are shot. They're either I mean I mean I'm either crying or I feel nothing. Right? right. It's this numbness back and forth. But I just to be told that you're okay. It's kind of like there's me, a brick wall, and God, and. But what's funny with this is that none, none of us have ever said, oh, I have a feeling in God. What we say is that I have a faith in God. But then your feeling is gone and you suddenly now question your faith, which is the definition of faith. So I came home and I told my wife what I told my counselor. And she said to me, should you still be speaking anymore? Which is hmm. something only your wife would ever say to you. And kind of, I went for a walk and I did some other things and I emailed some people. And I kind of I came across a verse by John Ortenberg who says, um, you're known by your fruits. You're not known by your feelings. Wow. So I'm at speaking dates and I'm just trying to get through. Like, yeah. it's not that I'm there and I'm like, oh, you know, Jesus work through me. I'm just, I'm just trying to survive and not have a panic attack. Right. And he says, you're known by your fruits, not by your feelings. So I wrote all these people and I said, are you still seeing good stuff? Like, are people getting closer to Jesus? Are they dealing with addictions and mental health and marriages and all these things? And everybody said, Yeah. And so for me, it was a little freeing just to know that, okay, I might not have this feeling in the moment, but God is still God and I'm seeing good fruits, which means I'm still doing what I think is the right stuff. And so it kind of just freed me to kind of continue during that journey and to keep working during this, the kind of stages of my journey as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to ask you this just as we as we close this segment. What would you say to, and this podcast is, though we have primarily artists and musicians as guests, uh, we really want this to speak to everybody, but what would you say to not only fans or listeners of artists, but also to artists themselves that might be experiencing some of this and and not really sure what to do? If If you're wondering... Like if you if you think you might have some anxiety or if you think you might be depressed, you probably have mm. crossed that line. Like no one's ever just been having a really great night after a show and said, oh, I wonder if I'm depressed. Like it doesn't happen. Like so if there's something going on, I would just say be be honest about it and just get some counsel. Right. So go sit down with like a counselor. Like people always say counseling's for the weak. And I'm always like, no, counseling's for the strong. Like doesn't matter who we are. We can all get marriage counseling. We can all get counseling personal, like spiritual formation stuff, but we can also get counseling just to help us, right? If we're struggling. And I think we all should be going to the doctor. We should all should be eating better and doing all these things. But in those moments, if you're not well, go get some counsel and then don't, don't journey on your own. Yeah. It's okay to not, like Perry Noble says this, right? It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. It's, it's just not okay to stay that way. Man, that's great truth. And um, I appreciate just your insight on this. We are going to hear from some artists today. But hey, Brett, would you stick around to the end of the show and give us some great resources we close out? Is that all right? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. All right, perfect. Thank you for the world that awakes In the dawning light that breaks And for the sunlight kissing my face Thank you Well, as we began building a framework for this podcast and trying to figure out exactly who we're going to talk to, what some of the subject matter was going to be around the area of mental health, one of the names that just kept coming up was Jason Gray. And I'd never met Jason. I've I've never had the chance to speak with him before, but we caught up and had a chance to have just an incredible discussion around some of his journey. And I began our conversation by asking him to tell me about some of his journey in the area of mental health. Well, I'll say that I, I've, I've always felt things very deeply, and uh, and that is a gift, and it's also a burden yeah. to manage, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've 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 struggled with depression most of my life. Um, sometimes I've been able to manage it through counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I've been able to manage it through meds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting story about that, you know. I, I'm 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 not against meds at all. In fact, right. I think they can be very very helpful. You know, uh, my preference is to not be completely dependent on meds yeah. for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some practical reasons for that. But yeah, um, I've gone on meds before when um, when I was so depressed that, uh, my brain was a cloud and, uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't have clarity. I couldn't think clearly, you know? So, um, so I went on prescription meds, uh, for a season to, to help me to begin to think straight again. And Mm -hmm. it did give me clarity for a while. And then after I was on it a while, then I felt like I was, I was in this other kind of fog, you know, and then I came off the meds for clarity again, you know, so, um, 
moving in and out of that and, and recognizing uh, when it was a good idea to go on the meds and, and, and then also to come off. Um, I've had to navigate all of that. Um, building up strong Christian community around me uh, has been instrumental as yeah, well. of course, so, of course. Uh, and as a songwriter, when I was on the meds, it would take the edge off the lows, but it would also take them off the highs, you know? So it kind of muted all of my feelings. Right. Uh, which which I need that. Yeah, of course. Or, or I should say, I need my feelings um, as a songwriter, you know? Right. So, uh, so that's why I... I prefer to be off the meds, you know, and, 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 um, as much as I'm able to, I like to, I like to feel everything, you know? So my journey with all of it has been about learning how to make peace with it and make good use of it, you know? Um, and also recognizing when I need help. Yeah. And I mean, I love hearing about your journey and especially what I found interesting was you talking about songwriting and how medication, affected that how how has your journey r- impacted other areas of your life or the way you even see and view the world i'm thinking of uh, a story that i heard from brennan manning years ago uh he uh, it's it's the story of a doctor who uh who went to this healing pool to be healed of his of his uh his gloom and mm-hmm. his uh, sadness and melancholy mm-hmm. um And when he went to go under the water, uh, the angel came and stopped him and said, no, this healing is not for you. Mm. And he said, Mm. but you don't understand. How can I live this way? You know, and the angel said, without your wounds, where would your power be? Wow. It is your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble in the hearts of men and women. Mm. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and bumbling children of earth mm-hmm. as can one human being broken on the wheels of living in love's service only wounded soldiers can serve mm. i believe that you know um wow yeah the burden of feeling everything is obvious uh the gift of it though is it has made me uh, a very empathetic very compassionate person yeah of course um and uh, I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know. It's a gift for sure. So, yeah, it's amazing how our journey can give us compassion for other people and what they're going through. And I've had the opportunity to read up a little bit and hear some interviews and hear you talk a little bit about your journey. But I'm, I'm curious, when did you first start realizing that something just wasn't quite right in what you were dealing with and feeling and experiencing? Well, for me, it's always been kind of clear. Um, one of the clues, I suppose, is uh, I remember uh, very often um, going through seasons where when I'd hear on the news of a celebrity who has passed away, and they mm-hmm. passed away young, you know, yeah. I'd think, oh, they're so lucky. Oh, man, wow. <laughs> That's usually a sign. Wow. Ooh, things are getting dark around here, you know. Um, but also being lethargic and uh yeah a general kind of malaise mm-hmm. um but also i had this interesting experience i uh i love reading i love reading 
and I would always be reading like two or three books at a time. And then uh, I went through a prolonged season of stress and depression and uh, began to realize that uh, I couldn't I couldn't read anymore. Like, like I couldn't track with what I was reading. Wow. And I, and I was, I didn't know what was going on, you know. I was grateful to learn that um, that people who go through prolonged stress and depression, what can happen is... Uh, their their hippocampus shrinks and their amygdala grows, you know. Okay. And um, so I was grateful to understand what was going on in my body, you know, and that I wasn't crazy. Like, I actually wasn't able to read read anymore, you know. Wow. Um, I've since learned that you can heal from that. The hippocampus will will grow, you know. Unfortunately, I guess the the amygdala um, will not reduce, so you will have a, a heightened sensitivity to to fear and anxiety that you'll have to learn how to manage. You know, wow. so that's kind of a drag, but yeah. you know, is is also um, a good reminder of 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 how important it is to do the best that you can to manage your mental health. You know. And to recognize when you need help, what kind of help you might need. Yeah. So you can reduce those kinds of um, changes Mm -hmm. happening in your body. Well, I want to ask you, because as you talk about reaching out for help or or seeking some help and guidance in this journey to deal with some of the things you're facing emotionally, I've talked to a lot of people who who have been reluctant to reach out for help because they're scared. They don't want to look weak. They are embarrassed or however that looks. Um, but, but for you, who was the first person that you talked to about some of the things you were feeling and who was the first person you really reached out to and said, all right, here, here's what's going on. Here's the unedited, unfiltered version of what I'm dealing with. You know, I, I'm a, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open, you know, I mean, uh, I wrote a song um, about looking for a length of rope that I wanted to hang at the end of my hope, you know, um, which was about a night when when uh, I wanted I wanted to end my life, and uh, and wrote a song about it instead, you know, um, and that was a song that that uh, thousands of people have heard, you know. So so in a lot of ways, I'm pretty open about it um in other ways I'm not you know uh I rarely talk with people when I'm right in the middle of a depressive episode mostly because I I I don't want to be a burden to anybody um I'm I'm always afraid of that you know Mm. but I think my friends would would want to know you know and they would they would prefer to know over a more tragic alternative, you know. Um, one time that I did open up was uh, was a few years ago. I was on tour with Josh Wilson, and uh, he's an amazing artist. If you've never heard him, and and a good man and a great friend, and we were on the road, and uh, he asked me how I was doing, and I told him the truth. I was really really struggling at that time. Um, I couldn't see a reason to live. I just wow. come through my divorce. Wow. Um, wasn't 
seeing my kids. It, it was just a dark, dark time. Now, there is a counseling ministry in Nashville. Okay. Uh, a counselor named Al Andrews that yeah. artists go and see, you know. And he's he's great. He's so great that uh, he's usually booked up way in advance, you know. So Josh uh, happened to have uh, an appointment with him uh, in a few days. And uh, he said, I want you to come with me. And so mm-hmm. he got me in to see Al. And uh, yeah. he and Al kind of walked me through what I was feeling and turned yeah. things around for me in that day, you know. So so thank God for Josh Wilson because I was, I, was I was in a dark spot. And uh, thank God also for... For Al Andrews. Man, that's amazing. Um, when you can have friends there that are there for you, not only when things are going well, but when but when it's dark in the dark times, you know? Yeah. So, you know, if 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 I've had friends tell me over and over, like, if you're really struggling, call me. Middle of the night, whenever it is. Right. And um so for anyone who might be hearing this, you may be afraid of being an imposition. Mm. And I completely understand that. And I mean, like me, I don't want to be a drama queen or all that kind of stuff. But I think that our friends would would say that that is worth so much more than um, the alternative, you know. So so make the call. Do what you got to do uh, to get through the dark night of, of 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 your soul. Yeah, and when you're when you're in those dark nights and dealing with all that stuff there's all these feelings that probably come out whether it be of sadness or frustration or anxiety or even anger and and how have you learned to process and deal with some of those feelings in some of the seasons you've walked through and some of the stuff that you you've had to face down um i'll talk about anger for a moment here you know after i went through my divorce i was uh I was sad, I was heartbroken, I was confused, disappointed with God, but I was also like, I was really angry with God, you know, Um, because I had prayed for a different story, you know, and I felt like he didn't come through, and so I was angry with him. The problem was I didn't feel like I was allowed to be angry with God, you know, like I felt like, is that arrogant or presumptuous or Mm -hmm. theologically allowed, you know? Right. Um... So I had all this anger, but I didn't feel like I could bring it to God. Um, so what did that mean? It meant it interrupted our intimacy because I could no longer bring my heart wow. to, uh, to, to God, you know. And uh, and that was when I began to realize what an intimate thing anger is, you know. Um, I saw it uh, in my own relationship with my son. There was a season where he was angry with me. But for whatever reason, he didn't feel like he could talk with me about it, so, you know. But it was wow. always in the room there yeah. between us, and oh. I just wanted him to talk with me about it, but he wouldn't. Right. Until the day that he finally did, and when he did, man, he let me have it, and he cussed me out, and he said some hard things that were hurtful. Some of them I didn't think were were fair or accurate or true, you know. But I remember the words of my mentor. And uh, he had he had told me years earlier that, you know, in a moment like that, when a person is angry with you, the best thing you can say is tell me more. 
Wow. And and keep them talking yeah. with you because the more they do that, the more they will bring their heart to you again, you know. And you can waste that moment if you want to by defending yourself or or correcting them, you know, or you can you can listen and recognize what's r- really happening, which is that the person is bringing their heart to you, you know. Um, and uh, the more you give them a, a, a safe place to do that and uh, a safe place to actually talk, to speak what's on their mind, what's on their heart, the more they speak, the more accurate they will become anyway, you know. Um, it's always overheated and exaggerated at first, you know. But so I got to have a moment like that with my son and uh, told him, tell me more. And he let me have it, and it 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 healed something between us. And then we 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 had intimacy again, and uh, and that was when I realized, oh, I I think this is what I need to do with my heavenly Father, you know. And uh, so I spent a season where I just kind of had it out with him and expressed all that anger. Yeah, and it restored intimacy between me and the Lord and it, it just it it healed a lot of things in my life you know yeah that's great so I believe health looks like this that we feel our feelings and then we give it to God we feel our feelings we don't judge our feelings we don't try to manage our feelings but we actually feel yeah. them and then we give them to God right that's incredible insight just about dealing with our feelings and with our emotions because they're real and uh, we don't want to dismiss them but how how is coping with some of these feelings and, and some of these battles and, and, and struggles looked for you practically or even just in your own heart or even managing your own emotions? Gosh, a lot of it, I, it has been about just making peace with it, you know. Right. Um, hmm. I said at the beginning that I've always been very sensitive. Now, uh, in years past, I might have used the words too sensitive, but I don't use that language anymore because I, I don't I don't think that I'm I'm too sensitive. Yeah. Um, if I were to say that I'd I'd be making a judgment, you know. So a lot of it is about learning how to live in non-judgment of myself as well as as others, you know, and to uh, to accept that this is. A, this is how God made me. Right. And, uh, and it can be, it can be used, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, how inclined we are to all, to always only want to bring God our, our, our gifts and our strengths, you know, like, right. um, here, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm good at songwriting here. Yeah. Use yeah. This, you know, I hope I'm good at songwriting. Anyway. <laughs> um, would be an example, or I'm good at leadership or organizing or whatever your gift may be. But more and more, I've been thinking about how, how important it is to to bring our weakness and our brokenness to Him too, because he'll, he'll use that as much, if not more, than anything else. An example I like to give is uh, I'm insecure, and I'm a people pleaser. And uh, all my life, I've been embarrassed about these things. I've, mm. I've wished I could eradicate them from my life, mm. but they don't seem to be going anywhere. Um, it's gotten easier to manage as I've gotten older, but it's still there. And I used to, I used to hate these things about me, but r- recently, I, I began to recognize how very useful they are 
for instance, when I'm standing in a concert hall and I'm doing a concert, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm insecure, because I'm a people pleaser, I'm I'm tuned into the room and I can mm-hmm. I can feel w- what's happening in the room. I can feel if if uh, mm. I'm losing people's attention and then mm. I know okay I need to insert a joke here or I need to do something to draw them back in. Yeah, I get that. And if I were more secure and if I didn't care how others felt about me, I I, I wouldn't be tuned into the room that way you know um i'd probably be a boring performer (laughs) so my insecurity and my people pleasing really serves me well in a moment like that and it it makes me better at what i do and uh we we all have these gifts we all have these weaknesses that um that can be a gift as well yeah another one of my weaknesses that I now see as a gift is my melancholy and my my emotional makeup that makes me very sensitive and it can be challenging at times but but it's also so rich it's so rich and it uh the way that it it tunes me into the world yeah and our hope is not an inflated hope it's it's it's, it's a very real authentic durable hope which means that when we speak about hope we, 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 it's it's backed by this this conviction that comes from uh being tuned into reality in a particular way you know so so how do i cope with it by accepting it as a gift as the gift that it is and by daily praying and acting out the grace that helps me, helps keep me from being overthrown by it. Wow, what a huge thank you to Jason Gray. Really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate your vulnerability for just your raw honesty and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Jason, for being on the podcast. Well, I'm so excited to be able to chat with our next guest here because uh, her name's Lacey Sturm, and many of you know her as the the former singer of Flyleaf. She's now a solo artist, but she's also going to be heading out on tour with Skillet coming up, filling in for Jen Ledger for a couple shows that are taking place in the very near future. But the thing I love about Lacey is that Lacey's never been afraid to share her testimony. She's just been so open and vulnerable and honest about her struggle with suicide and the suicidal thoughts that she had and, and the day that Jesus really stepped in and changed everything and, and saved her life. And when we were piecing this interview together, this is part of a much larger conversation that Lacey and I had that we will make available for you guys later on. But I definitely wanted to take some aspects of our conversation and apply them to this conversation around mental health. And so I began my conversation with Lacey Sturm by asking her this. Lacey, I want to ask you this. When you noticed first that something wasn't quite right in your mind and in your emotions, was it triggered by a specific event? Uh, was it something you had experienced your whole life or was it just 
did it just come all of a sudden? How did that that look for you? Was it was it something that you had experienced for a long time? Oh yeah, forever. Wow. Well, for me personally, I I always had it a desire to die since I was ten, since my cousin's death at ten years old. Wow. I always felt this wrong, like something was wrong that he was dead and I wasn't. It was just, I think Mm. it was a gift of empathy or whatever. Yeah. That, you know, God gives people, some people, I guess, maybe a stronger gift of empathy than others. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that when you feel that also is a little, maybe just cultural, there might've been a little cultural codependency that just comes with poverty. Right. Tell me about that. You don't get your own anything. You you wear each other's clothes and you share each other's food and, you know, um, everything's passed on. And, wow. Know, so there's a little bit of that too. But I think yeah. just in empathy, just feeling like a, a recognition of mm-hmm. th- there being something wrong in the world and there not being a solution for it. Right. And also me being part of the problem <laughs> because there wasn't enough always. And I felt like if I wasn't around, maybe, and it sounds really like noble, <laughs> but it's not really, it's, it's a deception actually. Yeah. But if I, if, if I wasn't around, maybe that there would be more for others. Oh man. So it's just, it's a noble deception. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, it's very untrue. As you quoted a minute ago, the loaves and the fish. And then just over and over in the scriptures, you see God providing. He never's like, there's too many people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, if you need food, I'm going to rain it from heaven. And, mm-hmm. and when Jesus was there, he was like, feed them. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, uh, we don't have enough money. Yeah, yeah, of And he's course. like, well, does anybody have faith for this? Well, here's this boy. Well, here, they can have my lunch. Oh, my God, how sweet. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. perfect. That's all we need. One heart that, that believes that nobody's, you know, too much of a burden. And so that would be willing to share. And so then he multiplied it and he's can do that. He's actually a miraculous God and can do that. And for me, what I, um, what I got caught up in is this thinking that life would be better with, if I wasn't there, always feeling that way. Hmm. And of course I think there was some, just my mom was young, you know, she was 16 when she had me wow. and 15 when she had my brother. Wow. And so, you know, I guess by the time I was 10, she's 26, you know, um, with, with three kids and another one on the way, probably no, when I was 10, yeah, my, she had four kids at that time. So, and really and truly like her just trying to make the best decisions she can right? and being frustrated at every turn and her dealing with probably her own issues with maybe ADD or, yeah. you know, uh, depression or whatever. I don't know what she was going through. She can tell her own story, but I know that for her, just even just the circumstances themselves and what, what are you going to do? What do you like? How, how are you going to keep your kids in line? It, my mom talked to us like we were, she never talked to us like children. She just, she wanted us to be aware of life for real because she, she knew that we could end up without her for some reason or another. You know, she, she's seen death. She's seen, you know, circumstances bring separation and she just wanted us to be strong. Now, I don't know if that was the best, you know, method for raising kids, but what it taught me was I need to be considerate of everybody else first. And that's a good thing to some degree, but it was twisted in my mind because, because I, 
I brought it to a, a place that was just deceiving, like uh, life would be better without me. Well, if you actually followed that thought through, and I did in my life, it wouldn't have been better for any person at all in my family at all. <laughs> they would have had the story of their sister who committed suicide or their daughter or their granddaughter or whoever it is. And that's, that is, there's no good there's no good story that, you know what I mean? Like for me as a kid thinking that we'd be better if I wasn't here, that was just a lie. You know? Yeah, complete lie. And I mean, that's a heaviness that many people don't know what to do with or what how to deal with it or even how to process it. And then instead of getting help, it becomes this, this feeling and this cycle that just mm-hmm. continues to perpetuate in an unhealthy way, you know? You know, I think that's an important point too. Um that we don't recognize mm-hmm. our gifts spiritually and spiritual gifts are so core to understanding our identity yeah. and why we were wired the way we are. Yeah. And, um, like, I think I have a spiritual gift of, like I, like I talked about with empathy, but also hmm. to be able to, um, feel what other people are feeling, right? whether or not, it's being vocalized by yeah. others. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you can pick up in the room yeah. what's going on. And also I think is as, you know, mystical as this sounds, I think that a lot of us are clairvoyant as a gift from God. And we don't realize we're thinking thoughts that other people are thinking, hmm. but because we actually pick it up on it. Um, why am I thinking this? Um, well, actually somebody else was thinking the same thing. And why, you know, and and there's like this whole big cycle of like, well, maybe something's wrong with me because of my thoughts. Wow. Yeah. Um, But really you're just thinking about something going on where you were earlier or where you are, you know, the people around you that aren't telling what they're thinking, you know, you're just picking up on it. I've seen this. I know this sounds like a lot, like that's a whole lot to, (laughs) but it really helps me to recognize, wow, I can think something and it's not necessarily me. Well, yeah, I think sometimes we can undervalue or put too little uh, weight on the spiritual world that we live in because we live in a very physical world, but it's also a very spiritual world. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when you're in a room, and I've sensed it before myself, when you're in a room and there's a lot of negativity or a lot of anger, Mm -hmm. you start to pick up on that and you're going, man, I wasn't angry before I walked in here, but but now I am, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I was, I was really down, but I walked in this room where there was so much joy and I, and I really Mm -hmm. picked up on that. Mm -hmm. And I think we ought to do especially when it comes to the area of, of these negative thoughts. And you, you talked about some of the negative thoughts you had yeah. about maybe this planet would be better off without me, but you know, we got to do what the Bible says to do, I think. And, yes. and that is to take every thought captive. Does it yes. line up to what Christ says about mm-hmm. us and, and really take every single thought under that evaluation? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that is the number one thing that pulled me out after I had my encounter with God was replacing like the the second part of that, like you were saying, yeah, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Mm -hmm. So what is the right thing? And I do this with my kid, with Joshua Lewis, my oldest, he's just like me. Like (laughs) his, I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize his distinction for myself, but he is, he see in, in the spiritual gifts that he has and his empathy and in the the weird ways that he thinks hard about things like, and won't let, let it go. Won't let the thought go. Um, and just go straight to 
worst case scenario and some some things like to be able to to like one of the rules we have in our house is no speaking foolishness, which is that's good. I'm never gonna be any good. I'm always gonna fail. Like all these things that he'll sometimes say when he feels overwhelmed. Yeah. Um. And so when he does speak foolishness, the consequence for that, the discipline, is that he writes he writes sentences of truth. And so what is the truth? And because this is exact. The reason why I'm teaching him this is because it's exactly what I did when I came out of it. When I came out of that, those strongholds of thinking the worst things, as soon as the thought came up and I could, I could tell it was impacting whether I had peace, whether I had joy, whether I was able to love the people around me, you know, it was impacting me. I would, I would go after that with the scripture. I would like look up. What is God? What do you say about depression? God, what do you say about suicide? God, what do you Mm -hmm. say in the scriptures about these things? Because the scriptures actually, and this is why I just started, um, this 12 week devotional video thing. I wanted to teach people how to go to the scriptures with the questions that they have and find the answers and just not in a way that, you know, cause the script, cause I believe the scriptures are living and breathing words of God that, that actually address things as they come up. It's the most mystical, powerful, beautiful thing. I didn't get to go to church when I was young in the same place all the time. I didn't have a particular uh, person that walked me through what it means to be a Christian. I had the scriptures. That's it. And even if I did have people in my life, I wouldn't have trusted them without looking at (laughs) what's your standard here. Why is the Bible the words of God? Like I studied a lot of um, atheists that became Christians when I became a Christian. So I can know that the Bible is true. Why is it true? You know, why is it mystical? How how is it different from every other book? Yeah. And just really, if I were to walk away from God, I, there would be no way for me not to believe Hmm. I could walk away, but it would be me walking away from knowing that this is true. Yeah. And and, and, and I would never be able to say, I don't believe in God. I would always, I would always have to say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. If I did ever walk away, because there's no way from what I've seen in my life with all of the miracles I've seen with all of the, I've just, there's no way for me not to believe that the, and the scriptures and the power of it, it is, is absolutely real. Yeah, it's absolutely. Very real. <laughs> yeah. As much as I mocked it before, I've seen it way too much. Yeah, well, well, even after, though, as you've progressed and grown in life and, and gone through new seasons, did you find that those feelings just, just suddenly went away when you met Jesus? Everything is now good because I've met Jesus. Or was there still a struggle? And, and how did you handle that differently moving forward? Well, I did struggle with those feelings of suicide and depression after I became a Christian. Um, but I handled the feelings differently. I handled yeah. that. Again, I didn't know always that I was picking up on other people's feelings as well, which if mm-hmm. you are, if you realize that you're picking up on the, the environment around you, um, I believe that the resol- resol- resolution to that is that you're going to, you pray right. because the reason why God will allow you to feel it is so that you could pray from a place of compassion and, yeah, and he's ready to move on behalf of the prayers that are coming from you picking up that those feelings. I just believe that that's, there's there, there's like a special ability. You will have to pray in an effective way because you feel it that other people won't, that don't feel it. Um, so there's that, uh, which I figured out later. Yeah. And we have, I mean, we have that weapon, right? The, the weapon that we know that God's on our side and we can pray from that position of strength. And, 
And yeah, absolutely. We can pick up on those feelings and instead we can react with them differently. But I want to ask too, do you, do you think that sometimes there's not just a, a sense of picking up on feelings or picking up on thoughts or mindsets, but there's also something biological at work? And, and have you experienced that at all? Yeah, that's so, so, so real. Um, I don't know why it is, but I know that the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There's something about when we physiologically open ourselves up uh, because of certain things, chemicals in our body that are in there or that aren't in there, um, that open ourselves up to being influenced by the spirit realm, darkness more than others. And I, I absolutely had issues with my blood sugar. And whenever I learned to eat a better diet, I actually, yeah. my mood was completely different. Hmm. And I actually healed a lot of my mood swings, like a maybe like the highs and the lows being so high and so low. Yeah. Um, through diet, and I know that people can do that through medication. Sometimes I remember um, somebody I really love taking um, antidepressants so that he could understand what it's like to not have such a strong reaction because he went to zero, hmm. and he actually just thought logically about things for yeah, a, yeah. for a season. But it taught him that so that when he was off the medicine, he remembered that maybe this isn't maybe this isn't as a big a deal as my feelings are making me think it is. Right. <laughs> because because the same situation came up when I took the medicine and I felt nothing. I could just make a clear decision. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, for sure. And, and for me and my own personal journey, medication has definitely helped. But the other yeah. thing that's majorly helped me is professional counseling. And I, I say this again, mm-hmm. professional counseling, not just sitting having a coffee with your friend. And uh-huh. and I remember when I <laughs> thought about going to counseling, there was an initial reaction that I had was, okay, well, I'm not that messed up. Then I need to go see a counselor, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's just such a lie because counseling has helped in such a huge way. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever done that with uh, either yourself or your husband, Josh? Absolutely. My husband and I, we still are connected to a counseling group and we go to counseling whenever we have free time and we have, a f- but, but when we're going through problems, we just make time and we, we don't have necessarily have the money, but we make money. We put the money there. We, we look for the money. We find money. Yeah. <laughs> we're asking yeah. for the money because we need that so much. And, and it, the, the embarrassing part should never be that we go to counseling um, we should be able to say I, that's a terrible, terrible thing that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Counseling should be a sign of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> I want counsel. Well, how wise of you? You yeah. know what I mean? It should yeah. be like a respectable thing to do and a privilege and an honor that, you know, we have the ability. I think what's embarrassing is that we don't have community in our society in a way that we could actually receive counseling from people who are older and wiser in the capacity that we need it from people who study it professionally. You know what I mean? That is a little embarrassing that as a society, we don't have, we aren't, we just don't value that for some reason, socially Mm -hmm. have the relationships that I think we're meant to, like older women are meant to teach the younger women. It says that, I mean, Mm -hmm. do I, I mean, do we have that set up in our culture? I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't see it. I don't, you know, I, I'm seeking out 
older women to teach me something and they most of the time they think it's strange. <laughs> I'm like, please just teach me about this. You've been married how long? Okay, I'm going to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's so much wisdom in doing life with people who are a little further ahead of you, who have seen stuff. And I mean, we're not meant to walk this journey alone. But definitely as we're in community, we can't keep looking towards people to be our savior. We can we can encourage people and we can point them to Jesus, but we can't save them uh, from the situation. We can't, we don't have that kind of power. But I wanted to ask you, Lacey, what would you say to the person that's listening today that's struggling with anxiety, that's struggling with depression, that might be having suicidal thoughts, self-harm, whatever it might be? What would you want to say to that person today? First, I just want to say... Um, I would like to pray Mm -hmm. because, um, I think to be able to pray and talk to God on behalf of somebody else, it, it really fills you with his love for the person you're praying for. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, I would like to do that, but I guess before that, just to be able to say and know that if you're breathing, there is such, there's such significance in our in our weight and our breath and in, in, in the fact in, in life being a gift, it is a gift. And there's always, um, there's always hope for the worst things that we've seen being turned into something miraculous and glorious. And honestly, like with my own journey, I've seen God do the most amazing miracles and the most beautiful w- ways of blessing others through yeah. the worst things I've ever walked through. Yeah. And to, to be able to walk through and come out the other side and watch what he does and how it turned into something so powerful, it seems like so like far away when you're in it. But it is there on the other side, this glory that comes out of our suffering, if we can just keep walking through it. And, you know, your life is a gift and you are uniquely made. And there is something that God wants to shine in the world through you that he can't through other people the way it will shine through you. And it's so important that you that you let him shine through you. Mm-hmm. It is the most powerful, beautiful, uh, at-home feeling to let God shine through you because it's what we're made for, to just be, to be loved by him and to love him yeah. and to feel his love for others mm-hmm. through going through us. So... Um, Can I pray? Of course, of course. Please pray for us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have created the earth and everything in it so full of glory. I thank you that you are a great artist and that your crowning work was, was us. And I pray that we would be able to let that sink in, Lord, that you created us on purpose, with a purpose, and and it all has to do with with love. So I pray right now in your name, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your spirit and your love on all the people listening so that they would encounter you in a way that they would know that you're present with them. They would know that you're here. You're hearing everything that they are crying out. You're hearing the depths of their heart that they don't have words to express that you're with them that they're never going to be alone. And your word says that you draw near to the brokenhearted. So I pray specifically for those who have broken hearts, Lord, that you would draw near to them 
and they would know that you love them and they would know that um, you have plans for all of the mess to turn it into a masterpiece of glory and purpose and redemption. So God, I just ask that you would um, take these these um this these words that we've spoken here today and you would use them how you want and you would fill them with your spirit and you would cover them with your grace so that people would hear only what you want to and if we said anything you don't want them to hear i pray they wouldn't hear that (laughs) and i just thank you that you love us in jesus name amen Wow, what an incredible conversation that was with Lacey Sturm. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, uh, coming on the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. And I just thought it would be really good. We've talked about some heavy stuff today, but we want to leave you with some resources that would help you. This is not by any means counselor's advice. This is just some resources for you to check out on your own. And so I've asked Brett Allman to stick around. And Brett, could you share a couple uh, resources with us today that would really help follow up this conversation? For sure. First, just thanks. I just love hearing other stories of people who are journeying similar things. It's not like Misery Likes Company, but it's just, again, it's just to know you're not alone. Um, my website is just my name. It's just brettallman.com. And I'm assuming you can drop that in the show notes. Uh, if you go on the website and you click, uh, my, it's just a blog. If you click on mental health, you'll get three years of mental health articles that I post. So I read about 300, I think about 311 blogs a week right now. Wow. People always think it's a lot. They all (laughs) go into Feedly and I read them in 20 minutes. But uh, I just post the best stuff I can find. And it's both mainstream. Like you'll get articles from Huffington Post and other places and faith-based things as well. Um, I do have a a number of books. I have a few on media, but I wrote a book called uh, Your Story, The Wounding Embrace with a pastor and a psychologist. And it was written before my breakdown. And you can get that off Kindle, off, off Amazon. And I wrote an, a free ebook. If you go to my uh, thebreadalmond.com, it's called Reset. This is just my breakdown put in book form, which sounds a little uh, weird. But someone just said to me, a publisher just said, would you mind writing out your breakdown in book form? And I said, why? And they said, because I've never heard a Christian's perspective on it before. So I wrote my journey and there's 17 or 18 other people. Carrie Newhoff wrote his and a few other people wrote their journeys. So it's just a free ebook. And I... I have put up a YouTube channel where like I'm doing a lot of stuff for parents these days. And so I'm kind of talking to parents like, what do you do if your kid's having a panic attack or, you know, what is the best medication for mental health? I'm kind of I'm kind of making a joke about that. It should be actually be exercise there. But um, I'm finding people are going to it, not as parents, even teenagers are going to it. So it's just uh, if you just search for my name in YouTube, I think it's actually YouTube.com slash Brett U, B-R-E-T-T-U. But uh, recently I just put up, um, I had a week where I had seven suicides that I heard of in seven days. Wow. And so I have a full, like everything I'm talking about today, it's just bits and pieces of a talk that I've researched and been speaking for seven years. I've read about 240 books on mental health. I'm just taking the best of everything. And I, I wrote I wrote a talk. It's called The Wounding, uh, sorry, the, the, the Walking Wounded. But after hearing, like I'm, I'm selling this as I travel and online, but after hearing all these suicides, I just said, I can't hold something back like this. So I posted the whole talk on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling, or if you just want some more info, if you go on my channel, if you just search The Walking Wounded, you'll find my full presentation with all the slides and everything all on it. And uh, hopefully that can be something just to kind of be that spark under you to kind of 
you know, step out, start sharing your journey and then start walking down that body, mind and soul analogy as you journey towards like hope, healing, redemption, rescue, healing, wholeness, call it anything you want. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Brett, for that. I appreciate that. We will make sure to put all of those links in our show notes. This wraps up this episode of the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. I'm your host, Josh McCabe. Join us again. We're going to be coming back with some more great guests. Uh, We're going to be continuing this subject on our next episode. We're going to have Brian Johnson from Bethel Music, We Are Messengers, and a few other things as well. So make sure you stick with us. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us.